Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Matthew, chapter 26. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Jesus said to Satan three times, it's written. Turn the stone to bread, it's written. Look at the kingdoms, I'll give it to you. It's written. Throw yourself down. It's written. Using the word. How important it is for us to use the word of God. Amen, saints? To do battle. The personal incrimination was unjust. And then you're still with me? The verdict was unjust. Look at verse 65 through 66. Caiaphas tore his robe. Caiaphas tore his his robe when Jesus said, you said it. Now, in other words, Caiaphas understood that Jesus was saying, I am God. That's why he tore his robe. And get this, Leviticus chapter 21, verse 10 tells us that the high priest was forbidden to tear his robe. Are y'all getting this? In other words, The high priest is accusing Jesus of breaking the law, of blasphemy, and yet he himself is breaking the law because he's tearing his robe. Now, you've got to understand something. This priestly robe was a beautiful thing. It was sky blue, which was to remind them of heaven, the high priestly robe, sky blue, illegal to tear it. It's sky blue. It's beautiful. It's got the sashes around the waist. And then at the bottom of the robe, they had these pomegranates. And between each pomegranate was a gold bell. So all the way around the robe was a gold bell. This gold, these bells were to alert the people that the high priest was alive, that he was in the presence of God. You see, once a year, the high priest would take that sacrificial lamb. He would take the blood of the lamb. He would go into the courtyard, into the holy place, into the most holy place, which is beyond the veil of the temple where the mercy seat is and the Shekinah of glory of God. The presence, the visible presence of God was this cloud in the most holy place. The holies of holies also. Once a year on the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the high priest would go in and take the blood of the lamb representing the people and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. If the high priest were to go into the presence of the Lord and he wasn't sin free, in other words, he hadn't cleansed himself from his sin, he would die in the presence of the Lord. Now, before he went into the presence of the Lord, the high priest, the people would tie a rope around his leg. This rope would extend out of the most holy place, through the holy place, out into the courtyard and out to the people. So the people are standing there. This is once a year. The high priest goes in. The robe and the bells are ringing and they can hear and they're listening and they're listening. And he goes into that holy place and the most holy place and they're still listening for those bells ringing. And with the bells ringing, they knew he was alive. 
if they ceased to hear the bells ring, they knew that he died in the presence of the Lord. And because they could not go in and get him, they would pull him out with that rope. You understand, say amen. They would pull, so they're pulling him out there. Oh man, we don't hear the bells. The man is dead. He's dead. And they would pull him out. And so this robe was a beautiful thing uh, as he represents the people. Now, if he would go into the presence of God and offer the blood of a lamb and, and God would accept that offering and he would come back out, he would stand before the people and he would say, forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. And the people would, yay, they would praise God. And then he would take a scapegoat. And he would take his hand and he would lay it on the scapegoat, pronounce the sins of the people on the head of the scapegoat. He would send the scapegoat running off into the wilderness and the people would be praising God because that was significant of the fact that the scapegoat, Jesus Christ, bore our sins upon his head and he took them away. And as far as this west, it's a, as far as the east is from the west, so shall your sin be far from me, God says. So the scapegoat represents Jesus. And he's going away. And the people are like, get out of here. Get out of here. Go away. Praise God. Praise God. We're forgiven. Hey, you got to understand. There's this robe. This was huge. So Jesus says, yeah, I'm the son of God. Yeah, I'm God. And the high priest blasphemy, but he starts to tear his robe. That was a sin. That was wrong. And it's interesting how people will break the law all the while accusing you of breaking the law. You, sinner. You know, it's like, hey, wait a minute. One finger pointing at me, there's three I'm pointing back at you. Sinner. You see? Accusing Jesus of breaking the law, and so is he. So the verdict was unjust. Very unjust. And then watch this. Now notice this. You've got to pick this up. Because when Jesus admitted, talking about the trial, when Jesus admitted that he was the son of God, listen to this. A just court, a, a true court, a right court, a just court would have allowed him to bring in evidence in his defense. They would have allowed that. A just court would have allowed him to bring in witnesses in his defense. And if they had let Jesus and were holding a true court and they would have let Jesus bring in witnesses, you know what? That courtroom would have been packed. That courtroom would have been packed. And as each person took the stand to give witness, they would have took the stand. You promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help you, Jesus, who's sitting right there. So help you him. I do. And one person would have got on the stand and they would have given testimony and given witness and they would have said, you know, I want to testify that I have seen Jesus heal all kinds of diseases. And the next person would have taken the stand and said, I witness and I testify that I saw him hush the storm asleep. And then someone else would come to the stand and say, I witness and affirm and testify that I saw him raise the dead. And then one person would come to the stand and they would step up and they would say, the day that I got baptized. I came out of the water and I stood on the banks of the Jordan and Jesus came and he got baptized. 
And John the Baptist, when he baptized him, Jesus came up out of the water. And when Jesus came out of the water, I testify that I know I heard a voice that said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And witness after witness and person after person would have come to testify of the deity of Jesus Christ. But they gave the verdict of death without the charge being proven. He was given a guilty verdict before there was ever a trial. And the accusation of blasphemy would have been correct, except Jesus was who he said he was. And it's not a crime to declare who you really are when you really are who you say you really are. Get the tape. <laughs> he really is the son of God. Amen, saints? Well, not only was the, 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 it was an unjust verdict, but the abuse was unjust as well in verse 67 and 68. Did you notice that? It's not enough that these guys are crooked politicians who ignore the law, but now they allow their hatred to turn to evil, physical violence. And they spat in his face and they beat him and other folks hit him and they began to mock and they said, prophesy to us, who is the one who struck you? And then Luke chapter 22 tells us, that they blindfolded him and they mocked him and they played a game of blind man's bluff. Do you have any idea how criminal and evil and brutal that is? As they would blindfold him or many times they would take a bag or a sackcloth and they'd put it over his head. And you know what they would do? They'd circle around him and then all of a sudden they would just punch him in the face. And he didn't see it coming. You know, there's something about when you're going to be hit. When, when boxers know this. You know, and some of you ladies who get in the brawls, you know, you know this. There's something... There's, no one here, no. But, but you know, when, somebody, when, you, when you're going to be hit, I mean, you just, you lock down, you brace, you can prepare yourself because you see that punch coming. But when you don't know that you're going to be hit and somebody catches you off guard, you, no, no telling what kind of damage will happen. People have been known, cases have been, if you're a doctor, you know this, people have broken their legs, broken their hips, and they stepped off a curb. Why? I mean, how high is a curb? So high? Yay high? How high is a curb? It's not high at all. But what happened was they didn't see it coming. And so when they stepped off the curb, they didn't see it coming. They broke their hip. Why? Because they couldn't see it. How brutal is it and cruel is it that Jesus is just sitting there and they would just punch him. They probably broke off. That's why the Bible says he has no form, no comeliness, that we should desire him. His face just shattered. Just shattered, broken. And beaten, and then they go, ha, 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 who hit you? Tell us, you're the Christ. You're, you, you prophesy, you know everything. Then why don't you tell us who hit you? And don't you remember when Jesus, remember when, when Malchus got his ear cut off, Peter, they came to get Jesus, and Peter unsheathed his sword, and he said, shh. And Malchus came, got in the way. Peter was a fisherman, but he wasn't a swordsman. I'm sure he was going for Malchus' head. But he just cut off the ear, and Jesus went, bent down, picked the ear up, put it back on. He said, Pete, 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 now's not the time for this. He said, not only that, Pete, but look, I could call 12 legions of angels who would come in my defense. I don't need you to defend me, Pete. I got to wonder. 
these 12 legions of angels seeing them beat Jesus this way, I bet you they were up there with the Father, just like, Father, give us the word. <laughs> give us the word. Give us the word. We, Father, we'll go down there and handle our business. Come on. You know, they come down with knives. I'm sorry, I'm from Philly. I, I, I apologize. I digress. Cause I know they was, <laughs> I know they were standing by. They had, you know, what I'm saying. They were standing. Jesus, hey, they're like, Father, we'll we'll go down there and handle this. This is not a problem. And the Father's probably telling them chill out and giving Jesus comfort at the same time. What an unjust trial. Well, then, lastly, look at this here. We'll finish these verses fairly quickly. Look at verse 69. If you're still with me, say Amen. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard. And a servant girl came to him, saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I don't know who, or I don't know what you're saying, or I don't know what you're talking about. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to him, or said to those who were with, who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath this time. And he said, I don't know the man. Jesus who? I never saw him. And then a little later, those who stood by in verse 73 came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. In other words, man, you got a northern accent. You sound like you're from up north. That speech, mm, it's kind of Galilean. That's what it sounds like. And then he began to look at that curse and swear, saying, I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And so, how sad is this? He went out and he wept bitterly. I am so glad. Give me your attention. I'm so glad these verses are in the Bible because it gives me hope. It gives me hope that in those times that I would deny the Lord. See, we deny God in many ways, just like Peter. Don't be too quick to point fingers at Peter. Because we deny him when we fail to spend time with him. We deny him when we fail to worship him. We deny him when we come into his house and we don't listen to what he has to say. We deny him when we come into his house. We don't listen to what he has to say. And then we don't go out and do what it is we heard. We are denying him in many ways. I'm guilty, we're all guilty, and yet we learn from this story that even if we at times in our lives and at moments in our lives find ourselves denying Jesus, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm happy about that because I'm not perfect and neither are you. And so what we see here is Peter denying the Lord. Mark 14, 54 tells us that Peter followed him at a distance. Right into the courtyard of the high priest in Mark 14. You can read that. And then he sat with the servant and the Bible says he warmed himself at the fire. And so Peter boasted in this chapter when he should have listened. Peter slept when he should have prayed. Peter fought when he should have surrendered. And now he's following Jesus afar off. Once close to Jesus and now following him at a distance. How many times do people, I see people who were once close to Jesus. How about you today? Are you closer to Jesus today than when you first gave your life to Christ? I see people all the time 
who were once close to Jesus and now following him at a distance. You know what? Listen to this. I see people doing that, and it's a very physical thing for me to see. Even physically, I can tell something. There's just a, I can see people who, who I have seen close to the Lord, who I have seen excited about the Lord, who I have seen coming to church and excited, and even physically as it relates to the sanctuary, I have seen this as a pastor, notice that they seem to be drifting away. I've seen people come into church and they're sitting up front and they're excited about Jesus. And they're like, yeah, yeah, they're writing down stuff and reading the Bible and worshiping and they're all excited and I can see it in their eyes. And then a period of time goes by and I see them sitting about the middle. Now, don't everybody in the middle move, okay? Everybody's like, get up front. Don't everybody move at once. But they move a little further back. And I'm like, yeah, okay, all right, well, you know, whatever, you know, and then a time goes on, and I see him sitting back by the the back doors. It's like, hey, man. And everybody on the back row is like, you got to put that finger up. You see him, hey, how you doing? How's things going? You know, well, I'm doing okay. Really? Everything all right? Well, you know, yeah, 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 everything's fine. But they start to, even physically, I can see it. They start to begin to follow Jesus at a distance. And then what happens is, you know what? You follow him far enough and behind him enough, and you know what's going to happen? Satan's going to pick you off. Satan's going to pick you off. Rule number one in warfare, stay with the group. Same end, sheep. (laughs) Stay with the group. And you know, some people, some folks like to keep their distance so they can compromise when it's convenient. I understand. You know, you know, if I don't tell anyone I'm a Christian, then I can laugh at all the off-color jokes in the office. You know, I can go out and party once in a while and hang out with shady people. If I don't tell anybody I'm a Christian, if I don't let anybody know I'm a Christian, you know, I can compromise with the world. Listen, don't be a secret agent Christian. Don't be a secret agent Christian. Come out of the closet. Amen. <laughs> That's all right. You know, well, you don't want to tell nobody you're a Christian now because somebody might think you're like a Jesus freaking God knows. We wouldn't want anybody to think that you're not like one of them. You don't want to be one of them anyway. You don't even like them. Y'all like, yeah, that's right. I don't. No, you don't want to be one of them. You want to be a follower of Christ. You want to be bold about your witness. You want to tell people about the goodness of Jesus Christ, not some secret agent Christian, not some person that has one foot in the world and one foot in the church. You know, I'm the most miserable person on the earth is that person with one foot in the world and one foot in the church because they got too much of the world in them to be happy in church and they got too much of the church in them to be happy in the world. Get the tape. <laughs> And so you're out in the club, and you know, you think, oh man, I gotta go to church tomorrow. I gotta, you know what, I better not finish this whole drink. I gotta go to church tomorrow, you know, and you know, I'm going to church tomorrow, and you get in church, and then you're here in church, and you're like, man, how long is this gonna be? You know what I mean? Man, I got my grass to cut, it's finna rain, I gotta walk outside, put up the umbrella, do stuff got too much of the world in you to be happy in church and too much of the church in you to be happy in the world. And that is the most miserable person on the planet, in my my opinion. 
Where are you? Are you following close to the Lord? Well, here's the three denials. Denial number one, notice the servant girl came to Jesus and said, hey, you weren't you with Jesus in Galilee? Peter said, I don't know what you're talking about. Denial number two, another girl saw him and said, yeah, it was you with Jesus. And Peter denies it. Notice this time with an oath. In other words, swear, cross my heart, hope to die. I don't know the man. And then denial number three. People began to come up to him and say, yeah, you were with Jesus. You're one of them. I can hear it in your speech. And Peter began to curse. This word curse is the Greek word anathema. Literally, Peter was saying, if I know him, let me be eternally damned. Did y'all know that? In other words, he's saying in the best context, please hear me. I'd be damned if I know him. I'm not cussing. It's in the Greek. No, I really mean it. <laughs> I really mean it. He's saying, he's saying that, look, I'd rather, look, if I know him, I'd die and go to hell. I'd be damned to hell if I know him. That's what he's saying here. This is really strong. And Peter remembered that Jesus told him before, at that point, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. And Peter left and went outside and he cried painfully. And it was at this moment that Peter realized that he wasn't as great as he thought he was. He realized he wasn't great at all. He came to the end of himself, which is a good place to be. When we come to the end of ourselves, then we come to the beginning of God. You come to the end of you, then you're at the beginning of God. And then in Peter's life and in Peter's ministry, because he heard the rooster crow, get this. Whenever Peter preached, history tells us, whenever Peter preached or wherever he was and people knew of this situation, the before the cock crows, you would deny me three times, people would walk by and they'd go, <laughs> True. And Peter be standing there preaching his heart out, maybe in the church, and people, somebody sitting on the back row, they're not a believer, they're a mocker. And, they, and all of a sudden, Peter preaching about Jesus, and they go, <laughs> to remind him. And I'll tell you what, it was this moment in Peter's life, when he came to the end of himself, it was at this time, at this moment, that actually Peter was at the beginning of truly knowing God and truly being changed by God. Because the Bible tells us that when Peter said, Lord, when Peter said, I don't know him, and he began to curse, the Bible tells us as you put the gospel accounts together, that Jesus was being led out of the palace of Caiaphas, and it was at that point that Peter made eye contact with Jesus. And that's when Peter remembered and that's when the, that, that the rooster would crow and that he would deny him three times. It was at that point. And so he walks by Jesus being led into Caiaphas and he looks at Jesus. And you know what? I'm sure Jesus didn't look at him and go, you idiot. Told you so. Told you you'd deny me. Jesus didn't do that. He wept. Jesus looked at him with eyes of love and eyes of compassion. And I'm sure that look of love and that look of compassion changed Peter's life forever. Changed him forever. How do you know, Rodney? John chapter 21, don't you remember the story when Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, yes, I love you. Lord, Lord, you're all right. Lord, I like you a lot, he said. And Jesus said, Pete, do you love me? Asked him again. And Peter said, yes, Lord, I like you. And Jesus said, Peter, do you really even like me? And Peter said it that third time. Go search the scriptures. Peter said, Lord, you know all things. Don't you know? Boastful, prideful Peter. 
pre-rooster crowing would have said, if Jesus would have said, do you love me? Peter would have said, you know I'm the man. I love you way more than they love you. Oh, Lord, you know I love you. I'll even die for you, Lord. Peter would have said, but at the end of his life, after Jesus taught him some things, after he had been changed and matured and grew in the Lord, now he gets to the place of, Lord, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And Jesus and Peter said, Lord, you know everything. I don't know anything. I've learned not to boast. I've learned not to be self-confident. I've learned not to put confidence in this flesh. Lord, you know everything. And God, I know nothing. And Peter went on to teach us a lot of stuff that we can't talk about. But you can read it. In 1 Peter, in 2 Peter, he taught us a lot. And man, is he a man of God. The big fisherman, he's brought low. Humble yourself, and I'll exalt you in due time. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.